Welcome to Man Reads Monday. I am Aaron Ventura. He is Jacob Rush. Let's get to work. Jacob, what are we working through today? Today we're in chapters eight and nine of Joe Rigney's More Than a Battle, How to Experience Victory, Freedom, and Healing from Lust. And today's chapters are uh, sexual brokenness, which is a really short chapter. Mm -hmm. And then the final of the four war categories um, called the subtler war, which is hard to say. But Yeah, and you could actually say chapter eight is almost like an appendix to the wider, deeper war sections. And really what it is, uh, he says, is a... Um, kind of a book review. Yeah. Um, his own synthesis of this book by Jay Stringer called Unwanted, which uh, I have not read, though mm. I might read. And he he does mention that this author uh, is less keen on the language of warfare and violence. And you can tell based on just the kind of book this is, it, it's based on 3,800 people participating in an in-depth survey that informs many of his conclusions. So this guy uh, is a uh, counselor. He seems to work specifically with people who would be called sexually broken or... uh, Probably abuse. Yeah. So that's going to inform a lot of this, um, really the whole of this chapter. What were your major takeaways from it? Mm. Yeah, I think this was really... um, So we take a step back and, again, reorient ourselves and think all the way back to the beginning of the book, what what this book hopes to offer are three lenses, right, um, to the Christian's approach um, towards sexual sin. Mm-hmm. And then the, the four kinds of war, um, again, provide different fronts or different ways of attack. Yeah. So the three lenses... Right, being the warfare lens, sexual sin is sin. It's rebellion, it's violence, it's warfare, it's um, rebellion against God. Then you have the uh, addiction element, the bondage element. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you have, which more so talks about the the enslavement to sin. Then you have the... um, the, the brokenness, the sort of sickness, uh, relational, uh, we talked about, kind of mm-hmm. lens. And that's what this chapter is. is it, it, it zooms in on that lens of brokenness, and it seeks to fill out that deeper and wider war with that lens. And I thought it was helpful, namely because, um, you know, John Calvin at the beginning of uh, Institutes talks about knowledge of God and knowledge of self as being these two fundamental knowledges. And if we're being honest, we don't have as much knowledge of self as we think we do. Mm-hmm. Um, we live for a short amount of time, and so much of our formative experiences are behind us, and our judgment on that is um, limited. And I think this chapter. It, it does, uh, it should give us pause to think there are ways in which we have been affected by our formative childhood years that we should consider. We shouldn't um, privilege them, right, or um, close out um, God's word or any of these other pieces, but they should at least be a factor. And again, what we've been talking about all along is that they give us explanatory power to, to figure out what's going on here. Yeah, this is trying to answer the question, why do I do this particular sin? So thinking back to the the deeper war, we're narrowing in on specifically sexual brokenness, sexual lust, and why are we prone to the specific um, sexual sins that we're 
prone to, he says, um, he even describes it as kind of a arousal cocktail. Right. There are certain things that have gone into forming what pushes our buttons, what um, yeah. you know triggers us. And he says on page 127, Stringer argues that our present sexual brokenness results from the convergence of two rivers. And then those two rivers are, number one, our formative experiences, especially in childhood, and then number two, our present challenges. And, I mean, that's a pretty uh, basic way of bringing things together. And then he gives uh, some examples. Uh, One, for example, someone who is abandoned. Uh, may try to fill the void with pornography or sexually destructive behavior. People with such stories are not merely in pursuit of pleasure. He says they are also driven by self-contempt that Mm. their broken sexuality confirms. Uh, He mentions also that men tend to attempt to overthrow the power dynamics of their childhood by imagining or inflicting sexual harm on others, whereas women tend to repeat the humiliation in their own sexual humiliation Mm. and degradation. And he points to... Uh, Fifty Shades of Grey as an example. Why is it that a book, uh, you know, I guess it would be called sadomasochistic or something like that. Uh, Why would that appeal to all of these women and become, Mm. I don't know, whatever kind of bestseller it is? Mm. I mean, that's a real question that speaks to, just like we talk about father hunger, it speaks to something in the female soul Mm. and the damage that has been done to them that would make them a desire, mm-hmm. um, this kind of thing. Yeah. And as you, you know, we thought about the deeper war, which is going to how did God design this to work? And then what is it that w- we are looking for in the sexual relationship? What is it a culmination of? And then seeing how all these other sins are related to and create these pressure points, it begins to make a ton of sense. A girl who didn't have a father or, um, even if she wasn't sexually abused, but felt that, like you're saying, that abandonment or that mm-hmm. that frustration, that lack of control, could turn to either sexual behavior or pornography to try to, uh, in one sense, either. Um, I, and that's a fascinating observation. I think about that the men want the power dynamic over it, where it seems like women want to repeat or reenact, mm-hmm. embody yeah. the 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 thing. Obviously, yeah. I was treated as. Uh, a dehumanized uh, object right. of someone else's sexual pleasure, and then somehow uh, saying, "Okay, I'm just going to go all in on this yep. because this is what I'm worth." And in some ways, you're we're bumping up against the irrationality yeah. of sin. And if it says that the wages of sin is death, ultimately all sin is suicidal, which makes no sense. But right. To the sinner who knows that there is this condemnation on their life, Romans 1 says, though they do these sexually debauched things, they also know that they deserve to die. Right. And so uh, you almost have this just insanity mm. that uh, manifests itself in various um Mm. you know, sexually destructive behaviors. Um, he also mentions on page 130. This connection between anger and lust, Uh, Stringer provocatively claims, I have never met someone who struggles deeply with lust who is not also battling with unaddressed anger. Mm. And, um, you know, I found that to be very much the case as um, I've looked into my own heart and also um, Mm. helped other men. And uh, I wonder, I think this is one of those 
places we might not think to go. Yeah. We've talked about what are some of the other sins that contribute, mm-hmm. but uh, Stringer is very clear that this, this these two are tied together. And um, I'll just keep reading to fill this out a little bit. He says, sexualized anger is often rooted in that sense of futility and powerlessness in life. Okay, so you're you're basically, you feel emasculated by circumstances. So mm. say, for example, a guy builds up the courage to ask a girl out. She says no, so he feels humiliated, ashamed. He feels like his mass, she is uh, emasculating him just by saying no. Now, right. she, she doesn't, in, I don't think, intends to try to right. castrate him by the, any means. The slight, the... It, the perceived slight may be greater than reality. Exactly. Right? But the point is, it still can trigger this function. Yeah. So, someone who has that fragile, unstable sense of their own masculinity, when it gets jostled, when it, and it doesn't even have to be necessarily a woman, it could be uh, they uh, get overlooked in their job. They're not getting the approval in their job that they think they deserve. Yep. And so... They're, that makes them bitter, that mm. makes them angry. And so they go to something like pornography or even you know prostitution, mm. some place in which the tables can turn where you have all the power, you have all the control, and mm. that's your way of kind of getting back at those slights that you, that you felt. Um, let me just right. go on to, to finish this quote. Stringer quotes one man who said, with porn, I am served. In real life, it's as if I am on, uh, if I, it's as if I am the one on my knees, subservient to what everyone is requiring of me. For men like this, a chief dimension of the arousal is the prospect of ordering a beautiful woman to serve them. Their lust is an eroticized anger and hunger for revenge. The degradation of beauty is part of the corrupt desire itself. Mm. The more the anger goes unaddressed, the more corrupt and perverse the sexual appetite becomes and the more shame and secrecy surround it. Mm-hmm. And he talked earlier about how with pornography, this poly drug, it tends to escalate into more hardcore kinds of, of yeah. pornography because you are uh, dealing with this anger that's raging, 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 and then it wants to escalate mm-hmm. to, to more um, revengeful, corrupt, um, these appetites that are even more shameful, right? So you start getting into this loop of where you hate yourself, mm. and so you act in accord with that own, uh, with your own hatred. Yeah. Any other reflections on this? Yeah, and maybe just kicking it to uh, Joe's word to mentors here yeah. about unearthing deep pain. Um, so the quote-unquote danger or the reality of this um, brokenness element is if you once you start to probe these questions, you can unearth a lot of stuff, right? You can unearth a lot of stuff that the person either knew about or didn't know about or knew about but was uh, explaining away or not seeing rightly, particularly if it does have to do with anger, right, and, and resentment um, because that gets into a whole bundle of questions about parenthood and upbringing and um, ways that they were mistreated or um, all sorts of ways. And so it gets messy very, very quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has four questions here. And it, would take a, it takes a lot of wisdom to know when and how to ask these questions. But just think about how personal some of these questions are. <clears throat> 
It says, uh, number one, does the struggle with sin feel familiar? How far back does it go in your life? Do you remember the first time you experienced this? Number two, does the struggle with sin, whether lust or the wider, wider issues, connect with any particular memories, even if they don't have an obvious connection? Number three, describe as best you can without being overly graphic your arousal cocktail. Are you drawn to particular kinds of fantasies or pornography? Number four, does the connection between anger, frustration, and lust resonate? Given that anger typically arises from some felt injustice or pain, does anything come to mind in your past? And yeah, as soon as you start asking these kinds of questions, um, you're asking someone to go to places that are um, places we don't want to go. I remember yeah. when I was in counseling some years ago, uh, my counselor had me write out my entire like sexual history from you know puberty basically or as, as far yeah. back as I can remember and I think it was probably like two or three pages or something and uh, I remember doing that exercise and that was a very unpleasant yeah thing to have to go back and remember mm. some of these things but the whole point was not so that I would just call these things to mind so that I would dwell on them mm -hmm. but so that we could figure out okay um, what are there? Is there a narrative here? Are there patterns here? And that's one of the things that I found extremely helpful was mm -hmm. okay. I started noticing a pattern in my life from when I was very young and things that happened in my life with my parents and divorce and relationships that I had had that mm -hmm. you know in some ways affect me to this day. But it's not a mystery to me. So I'm a, I'm aware of okay. Here's some of the things that uh, I've done or that were done to me, and right. then here's some of the ways I'm prone to respond, and here's how I feel prior to right. certain temptations, so that I know how I can actually uh, deal with them, so that the mm -hmm. gos gospel can go in and places where I mm -hmm. was angry, I can actually like okay, I need to actually forgive someone, and it's like how. How often does someone come in with a lust problem and uh, bitterness or you need to forgive your father, forgive your mother, forgive someone? Actually, that's the key mm. to solving the porn problem or something like that. Mm -hmm. and, and that's some of those indirect ways that I think, I think some of these questions gets to the heart of, of where our sins are, are coming from. Yeah, that, that's – I think that is key. Um, it's – and it's not that we're looking for some kind of Gnostic question, right? If I can probe everything and get to the very fount, then I can unlock this access and everything will heal on its own accord. Yeah. Um, the knowledge means nothing yeah. if there's no subsequent action. The point of it is to equip you to make good decisions and to, uh, like Joe was talking about, get the accountability and the... Um, I suppose pr perspective mm -hmm. required in act to actually make war and to have healing and to have progress in it. Yeah, in some ways, it's what God did to the human race in picking Israel out and then giving Israel a law. And then Paul asked, well, why did God give them the law, this law that they were not able to keep, so that sin would become more manifest? So mm. God gives laws, positive laws, so that sin will become more sinful, mm -hmm. but ultimately so that grace can abound, so that we're more of aware of our own need, our own screwed upness, mm. so that grace can abound all the more. And so you re when you're reading through the New Testament, there's 
um, the coming of Christ is described as the fullness of time. He's coming in the fullness of time. Mm. And he's coming at this time in which sin is at its absolute worst, right? They're going to kill the Messiah so that the conquering of sin in its full grown form can be, uh, you know, God gets glory in right. conquering in conquering that. And that's the same idea here. We're using the law. We're uh, looking at our story, the story of our life that in God's providence he has written. And then we're trying to bring biblical law, what the scripture says about our experience, mm. so that uh, grace can abound in those places, but we have to be willing to go there, which uh, yeah. not a lot of people are. It's very, it's very uncomfortable. Nice. Uh, moving into uh, chapter nine, uh, we get now into uh, the subtler war, and uh, I, I guess I would kind of summarize this as saying, um, this is all about where you are going to fight. So yeah. we're, we've all we've talked about this is a battle, but he talks a lot about in here. You know, where are the battle lines? What is the goal that you're aiming at? So, Jacob, what were your uh, takeaways from this one? Yeah, the battle lines, that's a good metaphor. And and I think a key thing that he's trying to do here is to make distinctions, um, uh, both because we tend to operate on our own kind of distinctions, right? He talks about how most guys just draw the line at masturba uh, masturbation and orgasm, yeah. right? So if I, you know, look at porn for an hour, um, but as long as I don't have an orgasm, yeah. then I I won. Or right. at least it yeah. was... <laughs> yeah, the, he gives the example of the roommate comes in and disrupts it. And you're and like, and I they was feel, delivered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, no, you're just a dummy. You're like, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, but, but there are ways in which, you know, because of our comfort zone or whatever, that, that um, these uh, distinctions get made already. And then it's, it's taking a step back and saying, okay, what are, what are these genuine distinctions? Because there are differences, mm -hmm. right? There's differences between fighting the sin at a, um, sort of high, high cost level. Yeah. You're going out and you're fornicating, you're sleeping around versus internet pornography versus, um, lustful thoughts and masturbation versus like there's, there are yeah. true distinctions that are helpful for you as you are Thinking both, um, one to, I think I think some people need to hear, hey, um, like it's a big deal, but quit thinking that you're the you're a mass murderer, mm -hmm. um, because that's just making this <laughs> that's just making this worse. Some people yeah. need to need it for that reason, and some people need it because they're not actually thinking about fighting lustful thoughts right. during the day or like being content yeah. um, in the station God's called them. Yeah, he has this great quote on page one thirty six. He says, "Compromise has a compounding effect." which means we can measure our progress in holiness by the sensitivity and alertness of the conscience. A dull conscience swims in filth and doesn't recognize it. It acclimates to worldliness and immorality. And so this idea that um, if you've drawn the battle line at orgasm, mm -hmm. well, you're training your conscience to only feel bad post-orgasm, right. right? So anything leading up to that. And he has this great example. I'll just read this on 137. He says, picture a hill with a steep cliff at the bottom. So uh, you're standing at the bottom of this hill and right behind you is a cliff. And then there's <laughs> this huge uh, rock, this boulder at the top of the hill. He says, having an orgasm equals getting knocked off the cliff. Now imagine a large boulder at the top of the hill. What many men try to do is get as close as they can to the cliff's edge without going over. 
They plant their feet at the bottom of the hill and then watch as the boulder rolls down toward them. They foolishly think they'll be able to stop the boulder at the bottom of the hill after it's built up a good head of steam. And so they find themselves inexplicably bowled over the edge again and again. Instead, your goal should be to fight the battle as high up on that hill as possible. So you have this idea of uh, momentum, Hmm. which is really important. Uh, Part of why, uh, you know, early on we talked about setting, you know, realistic expectations and having this agreement so that we can start fighting the battle as far up the hill as possible. You don't want to be putting yourself in the place where you're trying to stop a boulder that's going at 100 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. It just just ain't going to happen. And then he goes on to use this kind of video game analogy, which you alluded to, that there are... Allison. Yeah, Yeah, there's kind of different levels um, where you're where you're fighting, and then as you are um, progressing, uh, sometimes the the reward is there is going to be a more challenging temptation that you that you have to fight. Yeah. Uh, so th- the main thing he says here is where you choose to fight is where the battle will be fought. Mm. Think about that. Where you choose to fight is where the battle will be fought. If you draw the line at, all right, I just don't want to masturbate this week, right? Mm. Well, that's where the battle is going to take place. But what if the battle line was like, all right, I want to mortify any lustful thoughts mm-hmm. as soon as it arises to my mind. That's what he means by fighting uh, farther up the hill. Um, anything else uh, from this chapter? Yeah, and, and that gets into, okay, well, how do you do that? Yeah. Right? And that's how he finishes the chapter, talking about changing the channel and yeah. good pretending, which uh, I've fond men- memories of this because I, I got to take a, an Edwards class with uh, Dr. Igney and then a Lewis class with Dr. Igney. So I'm remembering like yeah. the discussions in class about this very thing where essentially changing the channel is like this. It's, ima- it's seeing your imagination, mm-hmm. right, the, this visual uh, kind of component of your mind that is in between thoughts and words, um, stuff goes through there all the time, yep. right? Uh, as you think about something, an image pops up, um, and sometimes things get thrown on there that you weren't expecting, yeah. uh, and sometimes um, you can kind of find yourself there because you um, were sort of m- reflecting on something for too long, yeah. right? So this idea of changing the channel is okay, you can't always control what's coming into the screen, mm-hmm. um, but you can fill your mind with something else. You yeah. can concentrate on something else. You can, uh, and this is what uh, Colossians 3 is talking about mm-hmm. when it says, if then you've been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above, yep. not on things on earth. Okay, uh, and he gives a bunch of examples of different channels he he puts through his mind. One, he's talked about a friend who imagines Christ, Christ's passion, Christ on the cross, yeah. you know, crucified for your sin. Um, is that a two CV? I don't <laughs> No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, but, and then others, he talks about um, the aftermath, he calls it. So yeah. imagine having to... <laughs> if I did this. If I did this, I have to go and, and confess my sin to these people or, or look at my kids and look, you know, try and they don't understand. Like there's... There's these ways in which we can fill our minds with mm-hmm. good, helpful blocks that yeah. then help us to focus on something else. Yeah. So one of the ways that I would, um, I really love this metaphor of changing the channel and to kind of build on that, have lots of other good, lawful channels. So, mm. uh, so you know, I have a, a Netflix account and I sometimes, my wife and I will like look through stuff and I'm just like there's so much content on here 
but I, I think I could only probably handle a tiny fraction of it. So it's, it, yeah. it's mostly entirely like cooking shows, food things. Jane and, Austen. And household, yeah, yeah, some Jane BBC. Austen here, here and there when it's available. And so one of the best ways to uh, fight the things that are coming on that channel is to have this whole arsenal of other things mm. that, that I would call kind of lawful pleasures. And if I were to give you a Bible verse for it, it would be in Proverbs where idle hands are going to, you know, lead you to sin in the same way, like an idle mind, a mind that's just mm. letting the images go on there. Um, well, where do you think it's going to go? Yeah. It's, it's going to, it's going to take you down. Um, yeah, go ahead. We'll just give you another Bible verse, Philippians 4. Whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is beautiful, lovely, if anything's mm-hmm. worthy of praise, think about these things. Yeah. Right? And that's exactly what we want to do. And for, you know, we made, you know, made the joke, was it Jerome who talked about doing Hebrew yeah. in order, like, uh, and then I think, I can't remember if Joe mentioned in this chapter, but Edwards who would, um, you know, kind do of. Do math. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some like abstract <laughs> philosophical thing. Yes. Uh, Joe mentions reading a sci-fi novel. Yeah. Right. Which for some people reading may not be a helpful distraction because yeah. it's at more, at the, but uh, depending, again, it's part of knowing yourself, knowing what is going to be an aid to you and what can you actually use to fight. Yeah. Um, the last thing he talks about is the good pretending which is a similar thing, but it's it's like changing the channel to the nth degree mm-hmm. where you are imagining yourself uh, as filled with Christ, yeah. right? Um, it's the kind of pretending that you do as a kid when you're playing cops and robbers and and if you're the cop or you're pretending to be a knight, right, as a, as a kid. You're not lying, right, you know, because you're pretending to be a knight. You're that kind of acting mm-hmm. is the prerequisite to becoming knight-like. Yeah. Right. We tell you know we tell kids stand up tall. You know, put your hands behind your back. Hey, pretend that you're at this really fancy dinner, so that they get the practice and training. And he said that's exact same thing you need to do with your sanctification. Imagine you were godly, <laughs> which I love that. It's like imagine yeah. you were the godliest form of what you. What would the godly version of me do? <laughs> yeah. Right. That's what he says. Yeah. Yeah. And and that is a great help to you to go, oh, well, he wouldn't be thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't be feeling that. And then then you can begin to get to work and, and fill your mind with other things. Yeah. This is something that I, I had not really thought a ton about is the role of the imagination mm. in fighting sexual sin. And so I am one of those people that uh, I was right now, I'm doing a lot in the languages, Greek and Hebrew this morning. I found this uh, this website where... Um, the whole uh, Old Testament in Hebrew is recorded and you can just like, it's an audio Bible basically. Whoa. And so I just listened to the first like four chapters of Genesis while I'm getting ready in the morning and stuff. And uh, that's not because in the mornings I have all of these, uh, you know, lustful thoughts that I need sure. to, to deal with, but it's because I, I actually genuinely enjoy it. I'm learning stuff. And so as my mind is being filled with something that is lawful. In my case, it's useful. I enjoy it. Um, that is a channel I can turn to. If I'm laying in bed at night and say my, my wife's gone somewhere and I'm finding myself having lustful thoughts, what if I start thinking about Hebrew? Yeah. What if I start thinking about the Greek vocabulary that I need mm-hmm. to learn? Or uh, sometimes like other things that are really lawful, playing sports, uh, cooking, taking up a hobby, playing uh, music, and mm-hmm. uh, getting uh, learning some kind of skill that 
actually has pleasure. Mm-hmm. And, and this is where it's we get good. into the, the yeah. John Piper Christian hedonism thing where it's like fight the the counterfeit pleasure of sexual sin right. with superior lawful pleasures that don't have that shame and guilt taint after them, right? right? Nobody uh, p- plays the guitar or cooks a good meal or goes to the gym and gets a good workout in and then just like, man, I really regret doing right. that thing, right? right? And we want to, we're talking about rewiring our brain. Mm. We want to retrain our minds and hearts and even our bodies towards these virtuous ends. And and for me, uh, I rem- like I would, I still go to bed. Uh, often listening to Lord of the Rings just because I, I enjoy it. Yeah. And I'm amazed that my wife lets me do this. She doesn't care. No, she falls asleep <laughs> before me. Wow. But I, so, so, you know, we pray, go to sleep, and then I I just work through Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, and then I, I start all over again. And, uh, do you have so, earbuds or do you just have no, it playing? No, it's, it's just it's playing really quietly and it's yeah. on a 30 minute timer so that it, it'll, you know, it'll go off. Yeah. Uh, and I'm amazed that I don't have more Lord of the Rings dreams, unfor- <laughs> unfortunately. You're an elf, you know. Yeah, but it's like I like that rather than my mind drifting to what I got to do at work tomorrow. Yeah. Or, oh, I'm anxious about this or how are we going to do or this? Or frustrated, which yeah. again triggers the – again, you're, you're finding ways – again, that's the whole point of the self-knowledge is you go, wait, oh, this, this is not just you know dropping a bowling ball yeah. on your foot, like cause and effect. There's so many things at – at play, which is why you're going, okay, it's kind of, it may seem like cheating. It's like, if I just avoid stoking these things that I know are bad for my spiritual health anyway, discontent, envy, anger, and I mitigate that, then I'm going to do fine. Yeah. I love this uh, verse, Romans 6, 11, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And uh, that word, I I think I've heard Piper preach on it where it's uh, like la gizomai or something, la gizomenoi or something. And uh, and, uh, Rigney argues that you could basically translate it, it means almost like imagine yourselves. And so th- connecting it with consider, this, this yeah. kind of imagination, consider yourselves. Well, how can you consider yourself? It's something yeah. that happens in your mind. You're imagining it. So so to just translate the verse differently, imagine yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And that is one of those fundamental verses for putting sin to death. How, mm. Well, how do you walk by the Spirit? Mm-hmm. How do you do it? Imagine yourselves dead. Yeah. Because this is the the... Uh, when you become a Christian and you're like, okay, I'm forgiven, but I still have all of these sin problems. How right. do I win? Like, how do I actually change? And this is a Bible verse that would support that idea of the good pretending. Yeah. Imagine yourselves dead to sin. You're dead. Now imagine yourselves dead and then yeah. actually uh, live that way, alive in Christ Jesus. I know we're probably rambling on and on, but I, the thing that I really like about that is that it um, – and maybe unfortunately, is that the people who argue that you just really need to believe the gospel have (laughs) kind of a point here. (laughs) And that point is that um, often, uh, and I think you could go to someone like Luther's works to talk about the the function of faith, is like, what does faith do? Well, faith believes God's word. Well, what does God's word say about you? It says you no longer live. It says you are crucified with Christ. It says it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And we go, well, but, 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 you know, because of my sin or because of this. And that's true. And you don't want to go the other route and say like, oh, yeah, we're just perfect now. We don't have to deal with their sin. But like imagine you had even just a fraction of that faith that 
of your salvation and the joy in your salvation, that you are free, that you are cleansed, that you are righteous and holy and beloved, accepted. Like at that, you can, you can do that just a little bit. Yeah. Good luck, sin. Like good luck, lust, good luck, whatever, because you're an impervious man at that point. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to mention that I uh, passed over was the role of actual actual godly mentors and examples. So mm. uh, if you're in a place where you're the holiest person around, uh, you're probably not going to be for very long. <laughs> and we, we need examples and uh, ideally ones that are close to us, ones that know us, that, uh, that we know, so that we have something to aim at, right? If yeah. We, if you, if we are becoming like those around us, and this is where Piper says sanctification is a community project, we are uh, we often think of sanctification as just an individual uh, thing that we do on our own in our private time, mm. and that certainly is part of it, right? We, sure. But what do we do primarily on Sunday? We worship as a group, as a body, corporately, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we are being conformed into Christ's image and we're also becoming mimetic desire. We're becoming like one another. If all of my buddies, if I'm the only one struggling with sexual sin and all my, my friends are godly men who I admire with strong families and good, healthy patterns of life, like that should motivate me to want to be on their level to be to be yeah. like them and then the opposite is the case if they're if they're all uh, filling their minds with garbage you know being foolish i'm going to be less motivated to do it and and i think finding ways of motivating ourselves is really key and and a godly mentor is one of those those things. That's great. Um, he ends the uh, the chapter with this word to mentors on wet dreams. And I just want to hit this really quick. So he basically says, here's four things um, when wet dreams tend to happen. Uh, he says, number one, this is likely a sign of growth. So be encouraged. This is the devil's way of now getting at you now that you've shut some of the, the doors. Mm -hmm. uh, he says, consider it more of an affliction than an action. Uh, this helps place our expectations in the right place. Sins must be killed, but afflictions must be endured. So it's something that's being uh, done to you. Right. Um, and then he also says, you know, w when you... Um, when you wake up, don't try to recall the dream. Learn how to forget it, right. and and be encouraged. Like over time, those dreams will become less sexualized. The you know yeah. I've been having all these dreams about my life's on the line. I'm either killing someone or, or being killed. So I don't <laughs> some Jason Bourne stuff yeah, going so on. I, I don't know if if uh, there's a Joseph or Daniel out there that wants to interpret <laughs> this for me. Uh, but I thought I would point people to a passage that uh, not I don't I don't know of anyone who is brought this passage to bear on the concept of dreams, especially wet dreams. But Elihu in Job 33, 15 to 18, basically says that dreams are often God's way of humbling and warning us, keeping our soul from the pit. Hmm. He says, in, in these night dreams, God opens our ears. He terrifies us with night visions. And that's, I think, one of the clearest places where he says, why? Why do we dream? Why do we experience these crazy visions in the night? And it's so that God can warn us from sin. I can't think of how many times I've experienced something in a dream that felt so real. And it gives me a picture of, whoa, if, if I was uh, to let my sin nature run wild, mm -hmm. look at the utter destruction I would do. And God is kind to me by warning me in, in the night. And this is one of those verses that I think would, would support that idea. So... 
as you're thinking about uh, fighting sin and if you're having those kinds of sexual dreams or wet dreams, okay, be encouraged. Also recognize that this is part of God's way of uh, humbling us, saying you're gonna, you need to still rely on me right. um, if you're going to have victory over this. Yeah. Um, Jacob, anything else? No, I think we, I think we hit it. No, no, X marks the spot. Knock this one out of the park. <laughs> well, uh, until next week, what should people do? Well, whatever you do this week, make sure that you, by faith, build that house. Wait, no. Man. <laughs> you got to get that wisdom first. Uh, see, that's the problem. I didn't get that wisdom. So make sure you get that wisdom. Build that house, rule that big fat belly, and stack Dallas for your grandbabies.